Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. A few years ago, I was visiting with a neighbor who was a very sincere, spiritually-minded person. She professed to be a Christian. She strove to be a good person, but saw little to no need for the church. Her prevailing sentiment seemed to be, if I love God and I'm a good person, why do I need to go to church? Her perspective represents the views of a lot of people. I don't need the church in order to have a relationship with God. In some cases, I can sympathize with such sentiments. Religion in America is big business. The amount of money that flows into church coffers and out to expenses that seem to have little to do with the Lord is staggering. Religion has become politicized. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, and we in America have worked very hard to ignore Christ's perspective. American Christendom has become worldly. Churches hammer away at some sins like homosexuality while excusing and enabling other sins like divorce, a sin that God hates and that damages anyone associated with it. And that's just one example of the morally compromised position many churches find themselves in. Then there's the issue of the superficial doctrines too many churches teach, doctrines that make God out to be your buddy and the grantor of all your wishes, doctrines that are essentially covetousness repackaged, doctrines that are steeped in the self-help nonsense of the day, doctrines that are of little value when we face troubling times and that will not lead us to the kingdom of God. And of course, there's the age-old accusation of hypocrisy. Why would I want to go to church with a bunch of people who sin six days a week but act like saints on Sundays? So I get why some well-meaning people of faith in America are disgusted by what they see happening in church houses and choose to practice their faith privately. But here's the truth. While thinking I can be a Christian without the church sounds appealing, it's a thought without any basis in Scripture. The only message taught by the New Testament is Christians need the church. Let's start by looking at the beginnings of the church in the book of Acts. Several important things happen in Acts chapter 1. Remember, Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel account, and as such, it is in a way a sequel to the ministry of Jesus. In Acts 1, Jesus is still with his apostles. He has been raised from the dead, and he is instructing them to remain in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends, the apostles return to Jerusalem, and they replace Judas Iscariot with Matthias, and chapter 1 ends. Here's how chapter 2 begins. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost happened 50 days after the Passover, which puts us seven Sundays following Jesus' resurrection. 
On this consequential Sunday morning, the apostles were all with one accord in one place. They were gathered together, uh, assembled, if you will. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on them. It sounds like a mighty rushing wind. Flames of fire sit upon the apostles' head, and they begin speaking in tongues. The sound of the wind brings a crowd, and the crowd is amazed to hear the apostles speaking in the many different languages of the Roman Empire. Some in the crowd think the apostles are drunk. Peter stands up with his fellow apostles and declares, Jesus risen from the dead. His message culminates in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter preaches Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. He tells those who believe to repent and be baptized, to have their sins washed away, and if they do, God will also give them the Holy Spirit. This brings us to Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. There are two primary points to notice in this verse. First is the response of the multitudes. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized. The second thing to notice is how the baptized were perceived. They were added to them. Added to whom? Luke must mean they were added to the apostles. It's the only interpretation that makes sense within the context of chapter 2. So what did the apostles plus the believing, obedient people form? Verse 47 has the answer. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When 3,000 souls were added to the apostles, the church was formed, and as others were obedient to the gospel, they too were added to the church. As we examine the origin story of the church, it is impossible to separate Christians, obedient, faithful disciples of Jesus, from the church. Now, you might think to yourself, yes, that's true. When one believes in Jesus, they become a part of God's people, God's universal church, but that doesn't mean I need to go to church. Staying in Acts 2, though, let's notice what happens with these first Christians. In Acts 2.42, Luke tells us they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The first Christians devoted themselves to the teaching and fellowship of the apostles. They were eager students, and they associated themselves with the apostles. They broke bread together. This may be the earliest reference to the early church keeping the Lord's Supper, a meal that was to be shared when the church came together in one place. And they also prayed together. They practiced prayer publicly, not just in private. Notice what he says in Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The first thing Luke says is, all who believed were together. Again, implying they were gathered together and associated with one another. They had all things in common. They shared with one another, indicating they were not isolated from one another. 
The first Christians shared their possessions with each other, even if that meant selling what they owned and giving the proceeds to the needy among them. These two verses depict Christians who are deeply connected with one another, freely associating with each other, and who are intimately involved in one another's lives. But verse 46 clinches it for me. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The first Christians attended the temple together every day. They were getting together on a daily basis in a public place. They also associated with one another in private, sharing meals in homes with fellow believers. It is admittedly very difficult to look at the picture of the early church and conclude that it is unnecessary for Christians to be with other Christians on a regular basis. Which leads me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us to consider one another. There are perhaps three dozen one-another commands in the New Testament, commands that have to do with how Christians should treat other Christians. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to look after our fellow believers. And if we are not regularly associating with fellow Christians, how can we keep these commands of God? For example, Jesus issues a new commandment in John 13, 34 that you love one another as I have loved you. We exhibit the mark of true Christian discipleship when we show love for our fellow Christians. If we say, I don't need to go to church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. I love God, God loves me, that's all I need. If that's our attitude, how can we possibly love our fellow Christians? And as the writer of Hebrews exhorts, how can we consider one another if we have no association with the church? We also need to carefully evaluate how we perceive the church. One purpose for coming together as fellow believers is to stir one another up to love and good works. A dangerous attitude has settled in American minds about church going. Far too many of us choose churches based on the premise what can I get out of it? What some people call the sit and get mentality. Our primary purpose for assembling as a church is to worship God. But just behind it lies another priority. I go to church because other people need me. Have you ever stopped to consider how you might inspire the walk of a fellow Christian simply by walking in the door on a weekly basis? Or how a simple act of kindness or charity performed quietly and humbly might inspire your fellow Christians to do similar acts. Or how your kind words of encouragement might lift the spirits of a fellow disciple going through hard times. Maybe you think you don't need the church. But have you ever stopped to consider that the church needs you? One last thing I'd like you to think about. If you are a Christian who thinks you don't need the church, so you don't go, you are forsaking the assembling of the church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Maybe you don't think that's a big deal, and maybe you have convinced yourself it's not a big deal to God. 
But if it's not a big deal to God, why did he inspire the writer of Hebrews to warn his readers against forsaking the church? It seems to me like this is a very big deal to God, and he sees getting together with the church as a vital part of remaining faithful to him, especially as times become progressively more difficult. So if you're a Christian and you think you don't need the church, I urge you to reconsider. You need the church, and believe it or not, the church needs you. One last piece of advice. There are a lot of churches to choose from these days. As you think about where to go, I suggest reading through the book of Acts. It's the history of the beginning of the church. As you learn more about the church's beginning, try to find a church that looks like the one you see in the book of Acts. And if there is one near you, give the Church of Christ a try. You might find exactly what you've been looking for. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.